When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. It means a lot, um, especially uh, just going to the game and being able to represent the Twins is, uh, is more of a dream come true. Um, it's nothing for me uh, like being in, being in our uniform and, and going out there representing the Twins and um, just trying to do whatever I can to, to make us proud. Uh, is it first time All Star, right? Yes. Yep. First, first All-Star. time All Star. Yep. Luis Arise, a first time All Star. You could probably make a case for a couple others as injuries trickle in this week. Uh, big day for the Twins yesterday. Plus Dylan Bundy picking up his fifth win of the season in a gutty, grinding effort, mm-hmm. pitching to the scoreboard magnificently, <laughs> scared and, me, and uh, making another case for Judd's public humiliating it's apology. Starting to come at some apart. Point. Very concerned. No, I think I don't think he started to come apart. I think it was you don't have don't show don't show them anything you don't need to. You know your offense has scored enough runs to get a cushion. <laughs> Jack Morris was brilliant at pitching uh, to the scoreboard back in the nineteen eighties, and Dylan Bundy following in those footsteps. Oh, I feel sweet like. Lord, did you just use the word Dylan Bundy and Jack Morris in the same sentence? What's the only difference? Mustache and opportunity and ten okay? innings in a put, world. Put Dylan Bundy in a game seven and. Opportunity. Nicky would tell Rocco, get the hell out of here. If Rocco said, All right, World Series, you pitched great. Give me the ball. You think Dylan Bundy would pull the Jack Morris to TK and say, Get the hell out of my face. I'm pitching. Sweat, sweat just pouring down his face. Uh, I don't think he'd be able to see Rocco or I Tom will Kelly in that situation. Kick your ass, Rocco, if you try to take me out of this game. I saw, before we get to uh, twin statements here, and then I have Wolves Summer League observations for mm. you guys and uh, a buffoon of the week. I saw a graphic pop up. I think it was on like Sunday Night Baseball or something last night as I was flipping around. Sandy Alcantara, mm-hmm. the uh, the ace for the Marlins, right? That he now, and this was like, you know, they put this up as a standalone feature during one of the breaks, like a pitching change break, that he now has 12 consecutive starts of seven innings or more. Wow. Something that would have been just commonplace right. even 15 years ago for ace caliber starting pitchers. And I saw that. I think I was more shocked by that than if you were to have said someone threw a no-hitter or flirted with a perfect game last night. 12 straight starts of seven innings or more in 2022 for a starting pitcher. What are the Marlins doing? Why are they trying to ruin this kid? <laughs> Why are they trying to bring the breaks, his career Marlins. to a premature end? So selfish. Yeah. But you're right. Uh, all right. Let's start with Judd here. Uh, Twins-related statements off of the weekend here. as They, they salvage a 500 road trip. 
Uh, Yes. Statement number one is, can we please end the High Wire Act? It is July 11th. The trade deadline. That's a question, not a statement. Is in. Okay. How about this? End the High Wire Act. This bullpen bullpen is driving me here. I'll be grammatically correct. This bullpen is bleeping, driving me up the wall. And I feel like it's this entire thing of, well, this guy's pitching better, so we'll try him. Your amount of reliable arms, especially at what you like to do on the back end, is nowhere near sufficient right now. You need at least one more, probably two, really. But... The high wire act of having to bring in Tyler Duffy yesterday Um, and the high wire act. And it worked. I know that. But it's also Texas. It should work against Texas. You lost two or three to Texas. The high wire act, I feel like, of this entire bullpen goes up on the top rope and and it's a it's a a, a zip line thing that they're trying to go on between the Fauche and IDS. And every once in a while, far too often, though, a guy falls off. So please make a trade. You don't trades have started now. And I'm not saying that you have to go trade for an all star closer. I am saying that. Well, they should. That, they should uh, well, that. it should would be that. nice. But upgrades, any type of upgrade would be appreciated where I don't feel like there's a potential for every Twins game to turn into the gong show. Okay, I'm going to piggyback off this because you had a chance there to mention pretty much any crappy reliever that the Twins have right now. And you mentioned one guy and his name is Tyler Duffy. And my statement is Tyler Duffy is actually back. Tyler Duffy's back. If you look at the last month. Yeah, he's pitched better. And this is good for the Twins. I'm not saying their bullpen's fixed, but so, and, and, you know, we spent like, I feel like two full shows just banging our head against the wall. Why would you bring him into a close game against the Yankees? He is giving up crooked numbers. He's oh. putting guys on base. He can't strike anybody out. And uh, and so he he started working on a changeup, which you saw in action yesterday against one of the left-handed hitters. He dropped a little 78-mile-an-hour changeup, turned it over, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it's a great third pitch that he has sort of sprinkled in. Over the last month since his implosion against the Yankees, 10 outings, zero runs allowed, 12 strikeouts, three walks in 13 innings, only one extra base hit allowed in those 13 innings and 10 outings. So I don't think the bullpen is fixed. I don't think this means that you ignore the trade candidates that are out there, but boy, would it be nice if some version of the old Tyler Duffy with that new changeup as a third pitch is enough to help pad that bullpen for the next three months. But you got to get more. Like Pagan's no but, still no there. But. You got to get back. more. You got to get more. And Tyler, Tyler, God bless him, good guy, is in the middle of that rope right now. And he's like balanced. Like, I got my balance back. And then he's going to go off of it again. <laughs> I don't trust these guys. Like, there's a few guys I trust for the most part. I don't trust them. And they have clear, you know, they clearly are going to use, and this is fine, their bullpen. But it better damn well be improved here shortly. If you want to be a real candidate to be taken seriously in the playoffs, assuming that you do win the division. It's so hard. I know you've been you know, banging on the wall for the last month saying trade for someone early. But if you're one of these bad teams that had like the, or- well, the Orioles are actually coming on strong yeah. right now and are flirting with 500. O's. Yes. But if there's five teams out there that, you know, the Oakland days or whatever, maybe there's six lights out relievers somewhere around the. The uh, you know the sphere of teams that are getting smoked in the standings right now. It doesn't make sense for them to just engage one interested team on July 11th. Like their goal should be: it's we're in no rush to trade anyone. We're looking for the best prospect package we can get. 
And so I think people wonder why don't trades happen until the very last second of the trade deadline? Because those those selling teams are trying to add three, four, five other teams to a bidding war. So I don't know what to tell you other than you're probably going to be frustrated, and all of us will be, for the better part of the next three weeks before the Twins actually make a move. I would be shocked if they made a move like this week, for instance. I certainly would be very proactive in trying to do so. Because the problem is when this gets, when, when to your point, Phil, this gets down to the trade deadline wire, the Twins often say, oh, that package is too much. We can't give that. Pa-. And that's they the do. problem. And that's the problem. And, and look, if you don't want to be taken seriously as a playoff team, that's cool, too. Well, you've lost 18 consecutive playoff games. Ain't no one going to be surprised if, if you go into the first round and get swept in two games. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty. It depends like, on what like you the, the path forward here is pretty clear. Now they are going to get Alcan or um, Alcala is going to come back at some point, mm-hmm. but who knows what? You know, the guy hasn't pitched in a major league game almost a year or nine months, or whatever. All right, Dex, I'm going to morph my original statement into this statement off those and say start making a list and checking it twice. So the trade deadline is three weeks from tomorrow. We're 21 days from the trade deadline. And now there's some reckless speculation starting to flirt out there. I believe uh, David Bednar was a name that was floated out there from MLB.com. Um, David Robertson, who's somehow, I guess, back after being injury-plagued the last few years. He's, he's been good the with the league. Cubs. Uh, having a okay. good year, honestly. Uh, but start making a list and checking it twice. Because <laughs> it'd be a crime to not address your pitching woes in the bullpen and maybe even the starting rotation. Uh, and honestly, this next week, this next uh, final week before the All-Star game, which is next week, there's six games left, right? Two against the first-place Brewers team, which is pretty dang good. Uh, four games against the underachieving White Sox, who right now are four and a half uh, back, I believe, in the AL Central. You have a chance to show you show, show another team that you can hang with them in Milwaukee, and you also have a chance to maybe even bury Chicago, who is having honestly one of the most disappointing seasons in Major League Baseball this season. So start making a list, checking it twice, and also show me something this week before we get into the All-Star game. We take four or five days off and show me that you can contend and show me that you can also address this pitching staff uh, before that trade deadline comes in three weeks from now. Uh, David Robertson, interesting. So Reckless speculation. He's kind of the Cubs closer, so he's got... 12 saves on a just a bad Cubs team that's, I don't know, 20 games below 500 or something. Yeah, they're bad. Uh, he missed 2020. I don't know if it was because of surgery or I think it might have been like TJ or something because he also missed almost all of 2019. Came back last year with the Rays and pitched in 12 games. So he's he. this is the first full year he's pitched since 2018 when he was one of the better relievers in the league for the, white, for the uh, Yankees and White Sox in the years before that. So... Yeah, there's guys like that just sitting. That's out what there. I'm talking about. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be. But you're not going to get him for like three more weeks. That's what I'm saying. A great pitcher, Reckless just a competent pitcher. Back to me. Back to you. Here we go again. Did you guys see the tweets from you know, Florida, the Gulf Coast League this weekend? Miguel oh Sano's back and he's hitting the baseball, and we have the Miguel stands again, full force. Look at this, and and this is like regular as clockwork. Start to run the numbers past us. Just a little appetizer of what could be on deck. Now, it's the Gulf Coast League, okay, but it's starting right now. So this is like rookie ball level for his rehab assignment? Yes, yes, exactly. Or is this 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 A ball? Are we talking the Uh, mighty No, this is the Gulf Coast League, so it's not the Florida State League. So it's rookie ball. 
And then I think he's going to okay. go, I think the plan, I think, I don't know this for sure, is double A next and then St. Paul last. But anyway, the point is we're starting to get the Twitterazzi is out there, and they're starting to tell us, oh, look at the, look at home runs. He's in hitting some old Miguel Sano. I mean, he might be coming. And all, and all I have to say is this to you folks. Where is he going to play? Because the last time I, I watched a Twins game, which was yesterday, Jose Miranda is hitting the ball really well. And yeah, Jose well, you Miranda, wanted, oh, you wanted, wow, you, wanted okay. you wanted Miranda booted off the team I three did, weeks ago. I did. And now, oh, but he, now he's hitting possibly. the ball. Now he's hitting the ball. And you know what I like about him? I like the fact that there is there is now uh, since his struggles earlier on a level of consistency there. But my point is, why do we have to go through this again? L- like, it's not his fault really. But Sano is Jason from Friday the Thirteenth. Every time I think he's done, he's gone. He's disrespectful he, to Jason. He hits. I think Jason a, had a higher yeah. kill rate than Sano has. <laughs> he does, yes, he's batting got a, average. Yes, but. and and his uh, yeah, his his bat speed was fantastic too. But yeah, my point when, is, when, when when Jason locked in on a camper, he was oh, I you think batting forty five percent on done. the kill. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, are we really going to go through this again? About oh man, Miguel Sano. My well, he, let's let's entertain this because I. Yeah, so, sure. You know, I, I'm not the biggest Miguel Sano fan. I think he has underachieved expectations and hasn't kept himself in shape mostly in the last six or seven years. And he's been, I, I think I've maintained for about five years now that he is just a one dimension. He is Adam Dunn 2.0, basically. You have. He's a, probably plays a little bit better defensive first base, but he's not an above average defensive first baseman. So he's, you know, if, if that one dimension is dialed in, that, that being 500 foot home runs, he can carry your team for. Long stretches, two, three weeks at a time. So I would welcome the opportunity to say, if there's a vintage Miguel Sano, you know, 30-day hot streak in there somewhere, all right, what would that look like integrating him back into this roster? So the active position players right now, mm-hmm. I'll just go through the whole thing. So Ryan Jeffers, like, obviously you need two catchers. So Ryan Jeffers, Gary Sanchez are off limits. Luis Arise is the batting champion right now. Jorge Polanco, Carlos Correa, Gio Urshela. Uh, you know, Sano's not going to play third base. You could move some other guys around, but I like Gio Urshela in the lineup. He's been a good hitter and pretty reliable, right? Yes. Um, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Alex Kirloff. Max Kepler's been up and down, but this is probably his best season since 2019, and he mm-hmm. can play an outfield position. Alex Kirloff looks mostly great for the most part since coming back from the wrist injury. And then, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Jose Miranda, Nick Gordon, mm-hmm. Gilberto Celestino, and Kyle Garlic is still on the roster. Yes, I yes. think. Yes, he is. So you'd probably be looking to bump either Miranda. I don't think you're bumping Celestino because he plays center field when Buxton doesn't, right? Yes. So it's kind of like Kyle Garlic, Jose Miranda, Nick Gordon, who's also been better, decent as just a super utility player. And then if he gets one of those roster spots, he probably plays two or three days a week until he shows whether his bat is hot. So I'm I'm open to it. I don't know. Kyle Garlick, does he you know, he's well, just a platoon hitter. Yeah, the problem is that the problem is to get the month that you're talking about, you're gonna have to give him at bats, and I'm concerned about that because he is a lineup stopper. If he is not blasting home runs, he is like a clog in your lineup. He clogs it up. And this team has actually gotten to be pretty good, I, I think, about being being offensively a team that can move through. Like, 
Arise is great at that. I actually think, you know what, at, at least of late, Max Kepler's improved there. Miranda, like I think Miranda's at-bats now are pretty good. Like I like his at-bats. The other problem, too, is first base is pretty taken up. And so the question then becomes, do you want to DH Miguel? But Buxton DHs a lot. And so do you yeah, want to you want DH to be open flexible? For yes. There, there's a reason why the whole... Nelson Cruz idea has been moved off of, right? Yeah. So anyway. I'm just trying to think. So, like, I guess it's a good conversation. On a day where Sano's in the lineup, uh-huh. on a day where Sano's in the lineup, you got so your catchers, Jeffers, uh, you know, the, the obvious spots are taken: shortstop, second base, etc. If Buxton's in center field, it gives you more wiggle room at DH, obviously. But Gary Sanchez sometimes DHs. So any way you look at it, you're taking somebody. And Gary Sanchez hasn't, you know, he'll run into, he'll hit 20 home runs just, you know, running into a breaking ball or something. But yeah, you're gonna, you're probably gonna have to take a decent hitter out of the lineup or a hot hitter out of the lineup to give Miguel Sano some extra chances. You know what I would do after the rehab assignment? Mm. I'd just book him a tea time. That's what I would do. Maybe at the, maybe at the Meadows <laughs> or something. So you a, just go, go go golfing today, and that's a smart you know, maybe idea. We'll worry about the lineup. Tomorrow. Whether it's garlic. Who's having the day off or Sano who's having the day off? Why don't you go book a tee time at the Meadows at Mystic Lake, an award-winning 18-hole public golf course. You can book that tee time at GolfTheMeadows.com to learn more. Also, the Legends are back. The Meadows at Mystic Lake will be hosting the second annual Lando Lakes Legends Classic Golf Tournament Saturday and Sunday, August 13th through the 14th. Nancy Lopez is going to be there. Amy Alcott's going to be there. Julie Inkster. Um, go check it out, LegendsClassicMN.com to learn more about that. And also, yes, if you want to book that tee time. GolfTheMeadows.com to learn more. GolfTheMeadows.com to learn more. Also, if you're looking to sell your house right now, but you're kind of worried about the timing of, okay, uh, we're going to sell the house, but then we're going to put offers in on new houses and timing that all up. Plus, maybe your house needs some fixes or maybe even a remodel to get you the best value on your home. That's where our friends at Equity Partners come in to help you with their WeHab program. They will partner with you to fix up your home before you put it on the market. And this might be the biggest benefit. You can move before you sell. You can put offers in on your next home, non-contingent on the sale of yours, which is hugely helpful. Find out more at EquityPartnersMN.com. That's EquityPartnersMN.com. My next twin statement from the weekend. Glenn Perkins is awesome on commentary. Oh, God, that poop is great. great. And we've known for years because he's been a friend of the show. We haven't had him on, I don't know, a year or two. But, you know, he was hosting a weekly Score North Twin show with us, and he's been a regular guest on our show, the radio show, going back to 2014. Uh, he's funny, insightful. He He's pretty smooth, too. Like, a lot of guys get in that spot, and they don't really know when to jump in, or they, they're kind of nervous. But he just kind of brings a layer of personality. He brings kind of a talk radio personality, which is what he... That's what he cut his teeth on in the media. He, he is a graduate of the Mackey and Judd, much like Jamie Erdahl oh, yeah. going to NFL Network and right. Tom Pelissero. Uh, you know, it's just another person we can take credit for here on Mackey and Judd throughout the last eight or nine years. I like how confident he is, too, with like he's, he's nerdy confident with those like pitch scripts. I forget who he was talking to. They were interviewing either Bundy or it might have even been Josh Winder over, over the series. And he was just talking about pitch scripts with him. And as someone who loves baseball nerdy stuff like that, it was incredible to hear just him talking about where he puts his fingers and, and what he, breaking balls he does. I think it was awesome. I think he's a great addition to that broadcast booth. How did, did you guys like the three-man booth? I like that. I thought the three-man booth was yes. great like yeah. because Glenn then could say, hey, LaTroy, 
And then they started a conversation among two, wait for it, former big league baseball players, which is what I, I liked want. It. I love I love the conversations about the nuances. And again, that's the first Twins telecast, I think, in a long time where I learn things. I yeah, legitimately learn. Because you get those guys bouncing stuff off each other. Yep. There was times where it would be Roy Smalley and maybe Morno or a couple players or Tory Hunter and somebody. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to rip on anyone here too much, but I th- I think it was a little challenging for Bramer to navigate at times where those guys would be. There was a, a couple moments in that game yesterday where you know it's like the game's in the balance. It's a one run game or it's tied, and and Glenn and maybe there's nothing urgent happening. Maybe there's not like runners in scoring position, but Glenn and Latroy are having a conversation that is going across multiple pitches in an at-bat. And Bramer would try and jump in a couple times. You know, ball high, two and one. It's like, I don't know that we need that on a TV broadcast. <laughs> we don't. So having a guy who's been doing it for 40 years try right. to sort of unlearn that, I don't I don't know that you right. don't need to call all 300 pitches of a Major League Baseball game on TV if there's a great conversation happening over here. I agree know? completely. And just continue to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Like, they said some stuff where I would love the play-by-play guy to say, oh, yeah, talk more about that. Like, I'd like to know more about that. Because they are talking about stuff we don't think of. Yeah, they're just, they're so, it was really a good. trove of and Hawkins places is really to go down. Like, like, he doesn't try and dominate, but he he actually in um, brings some really good talkers in. And I loved when Glenn would ask LaTroy a question, and LaTroy would give a really thoughtful response off of him. Yeah. So I liked it a lot. At, w- at one point, I think it was pretty early in the game, and Glenn goes because because Glenn, having done a bunch of sports talk radio, just sort of understands like how to look for things to throw out right to the room. And he goes, Latroy, what's what's that in your hand over there? Are you is that a stopwatch? Yeah, that was and great. Latroy says, Yeah, Latroy was just silently. He wasn't going to bring it to the broadcast, but he was just like, a lot of pitching coaches are just in the habit of doing this, right? You just you're timing up how quickly. The, the pitcher can get from his stretch motion to home plate with a runner on first base. And it sparked this great discussion about how quick you have to get to home plate, where there's some leeway. But right now, it's like guys don't really steal bases as much, so maybe you don't have to worry about it. Three and one, ball high. It's like, I don't, I don't need that <laughs> within the baseball conversation. No, hopefully they keep doing I know why you're blocked now. I know why both of you guys are blocked, haters. <laughs> Dude, he needs to relax a little bit. He does. He has a really <laughs> itchy trigger finger on Twitter. Yeah, he does. You think? Yes, I agree with I, you guys. I think, um, if I remember right, this was probably five years ago now. It's like 2000. When did they? Was 2017, it was the surprise year where they mm-hmm. had, mm-hmm. they weren't supposed to make the playoffs, but they were, didn't they sell 17? at the deadline or yes, something? that was 17. Yep, yeah. but they made the play-in game, basically. Yes. Okay. And I think... Bramer was talking about there was like an August or early September Twins Yankees game, and Bramer was bringing up, you know, sort of presumptuously, and the Twins are in position to be back right here at Yankee Stadium for a wild card game or something. And I think I just tweeted out, didn't even tag him. Hey, let's pump the brakes on. Let's not be too presumptuous here. A lot of things can happen. And uh, he DM'd me during the game to light me up and basically say, "I'm blocking you." <laughs> Twitter. It's like between and you're still blocked to this day, right? <laughs> yes, I am blocked. He's despite, been on our show since then the to fact, promote a book and stuff. Yes, despite the fact he's been on our show, you're yeah. still blocked. Little thin skin, little thin skin. Yeah, yeah, you're was, blocked too, right? I'm blocked too, but I'm I was much more of a a hole than Bill was. So I'm not. Blocked. When did you get blocked? Uh, I probably got blocked like five or six years ago, probably in a similar amount of time. 
I loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to him as a kid. And I, and he is, he reminds me of my childhood of Twins baseball for sure. But yeah, I, I just think there's some times where got to just explore other options as a broadcaster. Team up. Team up a little bit better. That's all. Corey Provis be good at that. Yeah. I don't want to say too much more. Corey Provis. Unbelievable. Right, well, now we're all, we're all going to be blocked again. by. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I'm beyond blocking. Like, sometimes you get to a place where you're not going to be blocked. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be blocked. Be You've been blocked by a lot more prominent people <laughs> yeah. than we have. Well, Adrian Peterson. Cordero I think we're all Patterson. blocked by Samantha Ponder. Uh, no, I'm not. Good for you. Oh, you're good I'm there. blocked okay. by Peterson, Cordero, and Alex Meyer, the former Twins pitcher. We should do some sort of exchange here where I'll tell you what Adrian Peterson tweets. I'll right. just give you, like, a weekly report, <laughs> and you can tell me what Sam Ponder and Dick send Kramer me 10 tweet bucks. besides yeah. the left-handed toast. <laughs> Peterson, send me $15 <laughs> if you'd be so kind. All right, one, I have one more twin statement here. All right. My statement is, I don't care about Byron Buxton's batting average. Hmm. So he makes yeah. his all-star game, yeah. right? He's hitting two fifteen, and, and I put out a, a graphic last night on the score socials announcing the thing. Well, we're going to send a guy to the all-star yep. game who's batting two fifteen. Dude. He also has 23 jacks and plays gold glove center field. But. He's punishing baseballs. He's on track to play in 123 games, 42 bombs, 88 runs scored, Elite defense and center field. And if I if I can, I'll, I'll get a little nerdy here. Get those nerds! Nerd! Nerd! According to Baseball Savant, he's in the 94th percentile in exit velocity, 91st in hard hit rate, barreling the ball at the 96th uh, percent hit rate. But my God, we have to talk about him hitting 215. And baseball right now, batting average is down. It's, it's the league average right now in batting average is 242. Now, last two years have also been like 245, 246, so it, it's been trending down. But 242 would be the lowest mark since 1968. Batting yeah. average is just kind of plummeting yeah. right now. But I, I don't want to hear about Byron Buxton's batting average if he's mostly staying on the field, punishing baseballs, and playing elite center field. So I, I do not care about Byron Buxton's batting average. I will say I'm mostly with you on the batting average thing. It, there are times where, all right, let's put a ball in play here and not strike out when there's a runner on third, but... You know, his job is mostly hit bombs and table set a little bit because he's kind of bounced between first and third in the batting order. Now he's more like second or third. But I will I will criticize his on-base percentage being 295. Yeah, it's pretty low. If you're going to have a low batting average, I'd like to see just, just mix in a few more, maybe swap out some strikeouts for some walks here and there. But overall, I mean, if you would have said, all right, this dude's going to play 120 games on pace for on pace for 40 home runs, 35 or 40 home runs. He's going to he's gonna score a bunch of runs, being at the top of the lineup, and play maybe not five years ago Byron Buxton defense, but he's going to play goal glove defense. I think I don't think any of us would say, but what's his batting average, <laughs> right? I think you'd say, all right, whatever. Like, okay, he's hitting 220 or 215. Not ideal, but if I get all those other things, he's going to be super valuable. I don't know. It's not I don't very know. good. It's 215. You'd be the one most likely to. average, right, not very good. You come from the era of batting yeah, average being more important. sacred than we do. Well, so I, I also think that you have to look at a, a case-by-case basis because, yes, Buxton getting on base more would be nice. Um, in the case of a rise, I, I think it's important because that's what he does, right? Buxton hits for power. He brings a defense. I mean, I don't think we're appreciating right now, and I think we all should take a second and appreciate this. The Twins' defense up the middle will never be better than it is this summer. Like, we are watching a platinum gold glove center fielder, shortstop, and you know what, Polanco at second, 
I think is pretty solid. But mm-hmm. I, I think we need to appreciate the fact that you've got Carlos Correa probably for a year, but you've got Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton at short and in center field. Um, I think we're now like taking that for granted. Like this is as much fun as we will have watching defense probably for a long time. Yeah, and if you want to go even a step further on the you know the nerd scale of this conversation. So right now, Byron Buxton has been worth three wins above replacement, even as a part-time player, which is 16th among all position players. He's played 67 games. The guys right above him are Trey Turner and Mookie Betts. Now, Mookie Betts has also played 68 games, but Trey Turner's played 85. Freddie Freeman is just ahead of him on this list, 85 games. So there's guys who have played 20 more games than he has, and he is still even with them in terms of wins above replacement this year. He's going to have, if he if he continues doing this, he's going to have about six wins above replacement to his name, which yep. would be by far a career high, mostly based on playing time. Not This isn't necessarily his best season. Maybe last year was statistically, but um, he's going to play 120 games unless he gets hurt, knock on wood. All right, that was kind of a judge statement, but we'll go back to you here because it's, now it's technically your turn again. Okay, I will go um, from the Twins to the wild with this statement. This is petty BS. <laughs> this is the GM told us Billy Guerin said, in, in fact, when he acquired Mark Andre Fleury and was asked about Cam Talbot, he said, Cam is fine with that. We've talked about it. There is no room for petty BS here, right? Well, this whole thing with Cam has turned into petty BS. And I don't know if it's Cam, his agent, but th- there have been, Rumblings now that Cam is not happy that Flower was brought back, and now it's gone to, well, Cam doesn't necessarily want to trade, but the reports are he actually wants a contract extension now. Like, he's try- he is a veteran journeyman, and he's an okay goalie, but he's certainly not great. But he is oh, a veteran guys turning trying on Cam to Talbot leverage. Right now. Well, I don't like what he's doing to my guy, Billy G. I don't like this petty BS. Like, dude... Now you want a contract extension? I don't even know that I I want you here past next season. So this very much right now has become petty bull bleep. Okay, so what is the status of his contract? One more year? Yes. And then he's a free agent right now? Correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Okay. So here, all right, I'm going to put myself in his skates for a second and oh, throw this at you guys. Goalie skates. He's thinking two things right now. He's thinking, okay, I played my ass off for the month and a half or whatever it was after you guys traded for Marc-Andre Fleury, which the Wild would say, yeah, well, we traded for him in part because you were terrible for a stretch. So, like, we had to bring on this guy. But So he dialed it in, and he was probably the better goalie down the stretch in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But what's what's done was done. You brought in Ziflauer to play postseason games. He wasn't. Standing on his head, he was fine. He didn't. I don't think he derailed the series or anything. But if you're Cam Talbot, aren't you looking and saying, "I was the better goalie down the stretch. I deserved more of a chance in the playoffs, and I'm younger. Who's more likely to be better the next two years, my age, 35, 36 season, or his age, whatever, 38, 39, or 39, 40 seasons?" And I think he would have some points here. What do you guys think? I uh, Cam Talbot's fine. Like, he's a fine goaltender. He rides it up and down a little bit. But the tandem right now, at least on paper, and analytically, it, this should be a fine tandem. But the issue is, is the ripple effect to Judd's point, 
it's petty BS. Like, this is the exact thing that Bill Guerin avoids. He, he's not just going to add players to a locker room that wouldn't benefit said locker room. Um, I think Cam Talbot is going to be exactly who he is. I think also Marc-Andre Fleury, who came down a little bit hard last year after winning the Vesna season before, is also probably going to level up a little bit and be at least a competent goaltender. Um, I think this is a good spot for the Wild to be in, actually, from a contract standpoint, because you have Jesper Walstead, who's probably a year or so away from joining the big club. He was a first-round pick by the Wild a year ago. You have two veteran goalies who will be basically ex- UFAs in, in a year and two years, respectively. So I think the Wild have set up their goaltending to hand the keys over to Jesper Walstead, and then also, you know, still finding a backup two years from now that you can always find. Like you can always, the Cam Talbots of the world are going to always exist on the goaltending market. They're always going to be there. And if Cam Talbot wants to play hardball and thinks he deserves a significant raise, honestly, I'm saying bye-bye, dude. I would just, I would, I would punt on that idea. I don't think you have to oblige to him just because you got your feelings hurt a little bit that you didn't start the first five games of the playoffs. Exactly right. Yeah, and the agent's line, I believe it was on Friday, about, I talked to Billy and he has a lot to think about, to which Billy responded, I don't have bleep to think about. Um, Mm -hmm. Dude, you're not painting Bill Guerin into a corner here. Cam Talbot is the type, to Declan's point, of goaltender who will be out there every year. And keep in mind, too, he got royally, royally hot and played great after the flower was acquired. Before that, he didn't. But I just don't think a goaltender like that is in a position to necessarily pull the star turn. I should have played in the playoffs more. I should have done this. I should have done that. Like, I don't think these, when you do that, to me, it's a tone-deaf approach to a team that has worked its ass off to change that. Like, this is very Parisi-like. Well, why didn't I play more? Suter, I should have played more. No, me, me, me. And that's what Bill Guerin is sick of. He's right to be sick of that. And this is where I think this Talbot, I mean, you would, in my opinion, need to be a star player to pull this crap. Like, really I good. think he, I think he would be the better goalie over the next two seasons, but I agree with your guys' points about, dude, you're not, sorry, guy, you're not uh, not exactly a first ballot Hockey Hall of Famer here, so let's pump, let's pump the ego down a notch. Another thing to consider in the NHL last year, only 16 goalies made 50 starts or more. Now, some of that might have been due to injury, but then there was just some timeshare situations across the league, I'm sure, that you guys would be able to speak to. I mean, when you're dealing with two guys who are going to be over the age of 35 as your main goaltenders, isn't it fair to say, all right, guys, you guys are basically going to play every other game. You know, injuries might factor in, but you're you're both going to play about 40 games. Maybe it skews like 45 over here and 35 over there, but uh, you're going to play about half the season. I mean, is that an unrealistic? Nope. No, expectation. No. That's where they should be at this point in their careers and where the Wilder just set up in general. But, I mean, Cam should Cam should basically be told, and he, he probably has been, you're in a contract year. Like, you're in, you are under contract. And so, guess what? You are going to play. And if you play great, dude, you'll get another two-year contract. It's, I don't like, I really, really, especially with this team, tired of the ultimatums. Well, I'm the captain of this team. Well, I'm the greatest defenseman ever. Well, I'm the winger from, from you know, Minneapolis, and I went to Shattuck. Give me mine. I just, I'm really sensitive to, to that garbage, petty BS. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. 
Dex, you got anything else before we move into my very exciting Wolves Summer League observation? No, I'm actually excited to hear these Summer League observations because I think I see a parallel from a former Wolves draft pick to a current Wolves draft pick. I'm excited to get into it a little bit. I've got one more quick. Both of those guys might make my observation. I got one more quick. I got one more quick, and it's this. Put your hand on the alarm because I want you to sound the alarm. This Kirill Kaprizov situation concerns me now. Like, we have no clue what is is transpiring there. But Russo on Friday basically wrote that Kaprizov went to Dubai and tried to get back to the States and was denied. Um, I think it, it was a, a visa problem. But long story short, he's now back in Russia, which is the last place I want him. So I'm just saying, this is... I know that it would be really nice if we could dismiss it and be like, it's going to be fine. And it's not just him. Beyond that, I have a real concern, and I think it's legit, about a lot of these guys who went home leaving. I think Ovechkin can leave because he's basically Putin's guy. But when it comes to a Kaprizov and stuff, I'm worried, man. I'm worried. Yeah, this isn't good. It is. uh, Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Well, and he went back to Russia, to which my question was, couldn't you have reached out to the team and couldn't they have sent a couple folks to Dubai to like shack up with you until you, until you got your paperwork done? I like, know. I don't know, but it's just, I don't know. You can blame the wild for this. Oh, I'm not you? blaming These guys them. are going to, I'm just curious. No spoiler alerts, but uh, in stranger things, they sent in Murray and hop, you know, to go get Hopper in the, in the last season. Right. We, need, we need Murray and Winona Ryder to get on a plane and rescue Winona Kirill Kaprizov from the upside down. Yes. That basically is the rush situation with Kirill and Russia right now. Please go. There are save a lot of guy. parallels to Stranger Things season four here. Yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Joe, we got to get you. Got to get you watching Stranger Things here. Don't That's take okay. Patrick Royce. He's worth. That's for okay. It. I it probably is, won't be watching it. Show. Sorry, sorry guys. Really All good. right, let's uh, let's continue here, boys. Uh, I have for you five Timberwolves summer league observations, and I'll have you know that I started writing these very excited after the first summer league game. But then the second summer league game last night was a little bit more of a train wreck. And the two guys I was most excited about combined for like 13 fouls. Because I don't think you can foul out in summer league games. So just know that as as I was writing these, it was more about my excitement irrationally about the first summer league game. And last night was more, ah, you know, it happens. You're so gonna, forget last night. These is guys are young. Us. These guys are young. It's going to, yeah, okay. exactly. Fair enough. Uh, so these summer league observations brought to you in part by a partner of ours and the Timberwolves, Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Coming up later this month, it is the Federated Challenge, which helps raise money and resources for Big Brothers Big Sisters, which, uh, it's, by the way, it's like $44 million raised uh, by just multiple amazing different partners and companies since 2005. And uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters is all about providing one-to-one professional mentoring relationships with children who could use some help, maybe getting to that better college, getting to that better place in life. So if you want to find out how you can help and how you can have an influence or maybe become a big yourself, go to federatedchallenge.org, federatedchallenge.org. Okay, here we go. These are five Timberwolves Summer League observations, starting with the first one. The Wolves could have used Rudy Gobert last night in the summer league. <laughs> like maybe they would have beat Memphis in that game if uh, if old Rudy Gobert was even in like jean shorts or something. If he could have gone down there for twelve or fifteen minutes and swatted some shots away, would have been nice. Memphis is tough, man. We just can't beat them. We try. Are, 
I have a dumb question. Are you allowed to play? Can you, in theory, play anyone you want in a summer league game, or do they have to be within like? I think they like if be, they wanted to play Anthony Edwards going can. into his third year in summer league. Could I, they? I want to say it's uh, Bill wants a pile only on. rookie. You never would, but it'd be hilarious. Yeah, total guess here. So this is great, great uh, education. I think it's rookies, second year players, and anyone who like was signed for a two way contract. I, I think it. I think those are like the parameters of, of where we fall on the summer Let's league see. stuff. So actually, Am I, I think wrong? those are the players who play in summer league. Yes, I think you've hit on the players who play in summer league. Uh, on NBA Reddit, that's just the first thing that popped up here is that literally anyone who wants to play oh. and or is invited can play in NBA summer league. Okay. So LeBron could play in the summer league if he wanted to give some poor undrafted kid PTSD. If you're the Timberwolves and people hate this trade. Just for one half, if you if you sent your starting five out there, eight foot wingspans, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, just to send a message to the Grizzlies, hey, you may have beaten us in that playoff series, but we're gonna take it to you right now in the Thomas and Mack Center here in Las Vegas. It's the Wolves. Gobert's ACL would go within <laughs> yeah. within the first time he's on the floor. You're probably right. It would be bad. And as a kill, send a pop. message, and now, now he's yeah, and, never and now he's never gonna player. play again. <laughs> Yeah, I can't All right, observation number two, which is the first real observation here. Despite him not being as good last night, this is like when you write a column. Uh, hey, the, hey, uh, you know the the Twins' offense exploded in this game, and then the bullpen gives up seven runs in the ninth. You can say, despite giving up seven uh, runs in the ninth. However, here's this other thing: Josh Minot is a very intriguing Energizer Bunny-like player. I think this is probably the guy that Declan was referring to. Mm-hmm. So. He scored more points in his summer league debut last Friday with the Wolves, 22 points in his summer league debut, than he scored as a career high in any of the 33 games he played as a freshman at Memphis in college. His career high was 18. Uh, He made a couple of three-pointers, which is also the equivalent of his entire total for Memphis last season, I saw. He had 10 rebounds, three assists, and a block, and just watching, like, I don't know, a half hour of that game on Friday night, just... One of those energy, like I said, energizer bunny players that if he can kind of hone it at some point, probably spend some time in the in the G League, could be a an analytics darling per 40 minutes in college and was very high up on some of the analytical draft boards. Not like lottery pick, but very interesting prospect to keep an eye on here. Is he the one that you were talking about, Declan? He was. He was. I, I thought he, um, you know, Jaden McDaniel slipped to the end of the first round. Minot was a second round pick, but but. Minot has that same type of vibe of like, oh, this might be one of those steals of the draft, and he's got great athleticism and is hitting shots. You know, it kind of for him not to hit all those three pointers. Like, I've got more questions of like, was Penny Hardaway like using him like ineffectively? Like, why wasn't he, why wasn't he used more in an effective role at Memphis compared to what he is with the Wolves now? Which might be the Wolves' benefit for that fact. But I, I just found that very interesting yeah. about him. Well, I mean, Cat in college, not for Penny, but for yeah. John Calipari, was basically told, "Don't shoot threes. Right, and so he gets drafted, and everyone's kind of like, "Oh, he's a, you know, he's an interior presence that right. can block some shots, and maybe he'll develop a shot." And right away, he's just bombing shots from thirty feet. Oh. Scouting is weird because it's. I don't think that scouts take into into context what guys aren't doing as being possibilities. That one, Cat, Justin Jefferson. I mean, how do you come out of that right? That draft, or go into it, I, I should say, 
Well, he played in the slot, so I mean, I don't know if, if he. How, how do you look at that? But body isn't it their job guy? specifically it's to my, look at someone I'm and say, you. okay, this is what they are, but this is what they could project? I mean, the Timberwolves looked at Josh Minot and said, okay, there's a version of him here that if Correct. developed and, and unleashed properly is going to be something far beyond what you saw in college. Right? Yes. But, but, like, why aren't you, when, when you get the opportunity to work these guys out, why aren't you saying, hey, do this and let's see the skill set there? Like, it's like, well, in college, you didn't do this. So, I, no. that confuses me because, Phil, you're right. Their job is to sort of see through things. And in some instances, they don't even come close to doing that. So, he remind, and let me, let me just double check his, uh, his measurables here, but. He reminded me, you're going to hate this at first, but stick with me on it. He reminded me a little of the first couple times I saw Josh Akogi on the court and that Uh-oh. just his his energy and his ability to maneuver around and do things at a faster pace than everyone else was very striking. But I think Josh Minot's a better shooter and it has more length. And I think is younger than Okogi Ok-O- spent a couple years in college, didn't he? Um, but I like... And yeah, and he's he's got a couple, two or three inches on a Kogi too. But he reminded me of like a taller, lankier, even more disruptive, and and slightly better shooting version of Josh Kogi the first time I saw him. The problem with a Kogi is he never developed the shot. He's basically a power forward who's six foot four, and you know yes. what are you supposed to do offensively when he's on the court? But keep an eye on this dude. Observation number three. Tim Connolly loves Jaden McDaniels. So I don't know if you saw our guy, uh, Kyle Tige, my co-host on Flagrant Howl's podcast. He sent out a piece at Summer League, and he sent out a picture of Tim Connolly sitting courtside right now. And there was a bunch of Wolves players. Mark Laurie was there, too, sitting down a few. But Tim Connolly and Jay McDaniels were sitting right next to each other, like kind of you know hunched over, heads next to each other, talking basketball, talking about how many first-round picks the Wolves had to trade away <laughs> to Utah to keep Jade McDaniels in a Timberwolves uniform. And the crazy thing about Jaden is he's going to make less money this year than Wendell Moore, their first-round draft pick. Wrap your head around that. Like, he's already one of their most valuable rotational players, but because of where he was drafted, Mm -hmm. he's going to make less money than Wendell Moore. So, Connolly spending some time with players, Jaden McDaniels at Summer League, good bonding time. Jaden McDaniels, that's incredible. Like, I I mean, I get it, but... So what is this going into the last year of his contract? Then is that how the standard contract works? Uh, he let in me the see NBA. Here. Isn't there Let's two pull the Timberwolves uh, salary cap table here for a second? All right, I'm just curious. So they, That's I believe, remarkable. they exercised or they will. He's, I think, he's under team control for two more seasons. Is okay. how this works. But let me verify this real quick. <clears throat> so the multi-year, and then he's going to be up for. He's probably not going to be a max guy, but you know he's going to. He's going to make a lot more than the two point six million he is set to make, or the two point one million he's set to make this year. Wendell Moore two point three million. So there's a club option for two thousand twenty three twenty four, and then he would become a restricted free agent in two thousand twenty four twenty five. Okay, wow. but he makes two hundred thousand dollars less than Wendell Moore, who obviously has not stepped foot on a basketball court yet. That is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Is that the so that, that's that's your dream pairing there? Just two. Lanky, Absolutely. athletic, slashing, three-point shooting guys. Um, observation number four from Wolf Summer League. Don't sleep on Wendell Moore Jr. So not that good last night. But this is from Dane Moore talking to 
Kevin Burleson, who's the Wolves' summer league coach, former Gopher basketball player too. Wendell has an old man soul to the game. He's just kind of that calm, okay, I got this type player. I'm going to draw a play up. He knows the play before I draw it up. He's one of them kids that can just get things really quickly. I was looking around at some NBA comps in the pre-draft process, too, and a name that popped up twice was Ron Harper. Ooh, I love and Ron Judd Harper. remembers him. <laughs> Hell of a player. So a, bi- a big guard who's like six foot. Yep. I think Ron Harper was even a little bit bigger. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> Wendell Moore is 6'5", yep. using your size as a defender. Uh, naturally a shooting guard, but then later in Ron Harper's career, he was running point guard for a Bulls dynasty team and, and whatnot. I mean, that would be an amazing comp if you wanted to being Ron yes. Leap and Harper. Yes. But just that big excited. guard who can kind of do both, play the one or the two. Ronnie Harper was fantastic. And defense. That's a great comp. Like, if, if that if that is close to being true, it's a great pick because that guy will have a long career, and that guy was really, really good, especially in, in his prime, but he did a lot of good things. So, yes, that's a good one. Yeah, could also be a bust because you know, I like old souls. I man. like old souls. I like old souls because I like people because that ordinarily means the guy gets it right. He's not trying to be flashy. He's not trying to be something that he's not. That he understands his role and is smart and can run plays, and that's what I want. Yeah, get it, get it quickly is a good thing to be yes, to be sir. saying about a young player. And then my fifth and final observation: there is drama in the Western Conference. Oh boy. So this is from The Athletic, which did a full write-up on all of this Lakers drama, which doesn't directly impact the Timberwolves, but the more you can see other teams fighting with themselves and having to swim through drama, the better for the Timberwolves, who seem to have their house in order. So The Athletic writes, In 2021, LeBron James arrived to Summer League, as he does every year. It's always a big spectacle when LeBron shows up and sits courtside at Summer League, which he does pretty much every year. Yep. Uh, And so last year in 2021, James arrived to Summer League and sat with Russell Westbrook, the Lakers' newest acquisition at the time, signaling solidarity and excitement for Russell Westbrook's homecoming. This year, all eyes in the arena were locked on LeBron and Westbrook last night. Players, former players, coaches, agents, executives, all of these people made their way over to dap up LeBron Join the scene, which featured more than a dozen photographers documenting him from every possible angle. I don't know if it was every possible angle. Was there every a photographer sing- in the floor, on the ground, in the, in floor. the floor? He's just shooting upwards. Yeah, that's a weird. probably a violation. Um, but uh, on the opposite end of the floor, nearly directly diagonally, Russell Westbrook sat next to the Lakers bench, even entering the huddle a couple times for offering up guidance. The group that made its way over to LeBron included several current teammates and also the organization's brass like Kurt Rambis and Darvin Ham, the new coach, and general manager Rob Polinka. All these people coming over to dap up LeBron. Poor Westbrook's just sitting across the court. Westbrook never walked over to LeBron, leaving just as the halftime buzzer sounded. LeBron stayed to the end of the third quarter, but the two never acknowledged each other. Awkward. Nobody does soap operas like this, Lee. <laughs> Nobody. Like, football does a ton of things w- really well, and they, they certainly have turmoil at times. But if you think about it, what league, especially during the course of its summer, what league does soap operas like this league? Nobody. It's great. The, the Athletic literally had a essentially a LeBron Westbrook beat writer. Yes. Not for a game Genius. or for anything to watch – and observe their behavior at a summer league basketball game. Yep. 
I love it. Well, and you know what? They didn't talk. So, like, that is uh, that is a justification of that guy's day or gal's day completely. That person's Westbrook, day. Why would you even, when, at this point, with why all are you the, there? Yeah. Is Cat there? Cat was there, right? Cat's gone yeah. before, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't Kat watch the game, but. I think Cat was there Friday, pretty sure. Ant? So. Uh, Ant got a haircut. I saw Ant. Ant buzzed the hair on. Buzz, Not yes. fully buzzed, but yeah. He also, should go bald. Per FanDuel, he is the favorite to win most improved player in the NBA next season. Anthony Edwards Ant? at plus 1,200. Yeah. Really? Interesting. Ooh. I feel like he's been on just an ascent for two years right. and then the playoffs. I guess and... the next level is him being a superstar. I mean, he's been good, but yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got odds to win the most improved if player. If he wins most improved player, it would mean that he's an all-star Probably one of the just the, yeah. the better young wing players in the league, right? Wouldn't that be the the step to take? So what there you go. Those are my my five summer league observations here. Such great drama so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to get to a buffoon of the week, but those observations were uh, brought to us in part by our friends at Spiral Light Candles. Judd, tell the audience. I will indeed. And look, this place is family owned and operated, and it's local, so shipping is quick. Lots of great scents that will make your house smell absolutely fantastic. How do I know? Because there are spiral-like candles all over the Zolget estate, which is pretty small. And they make a great gift for, I don't know, 14 mom, bedrooms, eight baths. Yeah. Mom's birthday. Yeah, not not so much. But anyway, smells great. Makes a great gift for birthdays, um, for, you know, mom or your girlfriend, your wife. And then there's also this for fans of the purple, Judd's. Purple Positivity Candle will be available soon. I'm going to show you this candle because, you know what, nothing screams purple. Nothing screams game day where you can purge. You can purge with the candle the spirits of failure for Judd's Purple Positivity Candle. Burn these on game day, and I'm telling you right now, I think it's going to bring good luck. Uh, Go to SpiralLightCandles.com. SpiralLightCandles.com. Check them out. Absolutely fantastic. You like that? You like how that smells? I like how that smells. Like how that Actually, smells? I do. Yeah. Actually, you I smell like Kirk. I do. You just smell like no. Stop that. No. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. You that, stop that, with that, that right now. That candle smells like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, baby. An hour no. and a half after a two-a-day training camp no, practice. No. No. You know what? Being grilled by Judd Zolgad in a press conference setting. That is what that this candle, candle smells, like. smells like. Randy Moss, circa '98, just fresh and free. Fresh and free. Fresh and free. Oh, running man. unimpeded down the field, <laughs> taking the ball away, high-pointing it, basically changing the game. Spiral light candles, <laughs> they are changing the game as well for candles. Spiral All right, speaking of fresh and free, let's get to the buffoon of the week here on Mackie and Judd. Because there is a man feeling fresh and free to say whatever he wants, apparently. <laughs> After winning his first NBA championship, I'm going to read a little excerpt here from this is from, this is from the Point Forward podcast, where a self-deprecating Andrew Wiggins opened up about his sudden rebounding prowess during Golden State's title run. "Quote: You got to figure out different ways to get the ball. So let me try to get my feet wet. Go in there and rebound the ball," Wiggins said. And especially when we played small ball in the Memphis series, and I had to rebound. I'm in there rebounding, and I'm like, this ain't that hard. I can rebound. And from there, I just kept with it. It helps us win, gives us more possessions. And I'm like, I can do this. I'll never average four rebounds again. I look back now like, how? 
I wasn't really thinking straight. I look back now, I don't know how it was possible that I only averaged four rebounds. End quote. Oh, boy. Andrew. What? Uh, this is right. why. Andrew Wiggins. This is why. Eight years into his NBA career and a quarter of a billion dollars later in, maybe not that much, like $150 million in contracts later, has discovered rebounding. This is why I couldn't tolerate it. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's ridiculous that a grown man who who was the first overall pick in his draft was like, yeah, I realized this. This is why he is the ultimate, because he is talented. It's why he's the ultimate complimentary type of guy. But like any assumption that he and Kat were going to lead this team and get it, um, absolutely a fallacy. Because look, I mean, that quote, among many too, going back to his it was a motivation game. That quote is such a telling, telling quote of who this guy is mentally. It's ridiculous. Do you guys blame the Timberwolves for this? Because I think a lot, a lot of people have witnessed his blossoming and grabbing all these rebounds on the brightest stage and him really coming into his own as the third or fourth guy on that team in terms of pecking order, which is a great situation for him, but saying, yeah, See, the Warriors culture is what has allowed Wiggins to blossom, which, yeah, like if you get to play with Steph Curry and Steve Kerr is a wonderful coach, yeah, the Warriors culture is absolutely a thing. But on the other side, it's like, and he's coming from the Wolves culture, which also is a thing. But if he, if I, I know Ryan Saunders when he was Andrew Wiggins coach and coaches before that weren't telling him, don't rebound the ball, guy. We just want you to focus on scoring. It's like you're allowed to do both in the NBA. So, why is it that the Warriors got through to him or that he discovered this eight years later and not the Timberwolves? Is there some sort of blame to be shared by the Timberwolves here? Or is it just a, a guy who isn't the brightest bulb figuring things out? There is 100% blame to be shared, but my problem is is this. In Golden State, the culture is great. The players are, are great. The coach is great. So everybody knows, and here's my guess, everybody when Wiggy got there, could give him a specific assignment, right? Like, this is what we need tonight, and this is what we need tonight. The Wolves were counting on him actually being a transformative player with Cat, and and for a year at least, Jimmy Butler. And I don't think Andrew, look, I don't think he's very bright. Like, this is a guy who, who, after another bad game, I think it was against Boston here, once said, I just love my shot, man. I just love to shoot. I love my just shot. Flanking twenty footers, yeah. but loves his shot. Cat yeah. might drive you crazy, okay? But I think Cat's a really bright dude. And sometimes he's probably too bright. He he probably thinks too much. But Andrew, I think, is literally needs to be programmed game by game on this is what we need. This is what we need tonight. This is what we need tomorrow night. Um, I just think it's another sign, and giving this quote too is just another sign of how much I think he is the ultimate. Doesn't get it guy the wolves shouldn't be allowed off the hook but that being said unfortunately with where the wolves were for a long time i don't think he was ever going to grab opportunity you know what good or bad ant seizes opportunity it doesn't always work but he seizes it this guy never seized it i think my main takeaway here is it's, it's the old quote the old adage it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than speak and remove all doubt I was all aboard the, hey, good for him bandwagon. Yep. Wow, what a great, perfect fit. It's just, uh, 
It's good to see. It's good to see as as much as I hammered him when he was here. And then this quote came out, and I'm like, yep, all right, never again. <laughs> Bye. This this dude is a clown and stole $150 million from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Come on, guy. Just figuring out what rebounding is for the first time look in eight me, years. Look, look me in the eye, eye and tell me that <laughs> you're going to rebound. This. Look me Incredible. in the eye. Put Becky's lasagna and apple pie aside. So there is your buffoon of the week, Andrew Wiggins. Amazing. All right, boys. Uh, we're going to be starting today. We're going to be counting down our training camp talkers, our little training camp preview series as we uh, count down what, I don't know, three weeks. Would it, rookies report in like two weeks and then two and a half weeks, I think it is, when uh, when the big boys get out there with Kevin O'Connell for the first time. And we're actually scheduled to have Kevin O'Connell on a bonus episode of Purple Daily today. Gasp. I think we can throw that out there. Hopefully he doesn't burn right. us on his vacation. But uh, Kevin O'Connell scheduled to hang out with us on Purple Daily here on this Monday. So, all right, those are our statements, our Wolves Summer League observations. And uh, go trade for a pitcher, Minnesota Twins, so Judd can sleep at night. Get somebody better he than won't. Pagan. It's not that hard. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.